Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. Today's guest is Maria Perez, co-director of Democracy Rising. She's a former health practitioner who turned to policy, equity, and advocacy after the 2016 presidential election. And now she's become one of the leading experts on ranked choice voting. What is ranked choice voting? Get ready to hear how Maria plans to improve elections by giving more power to the people. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. After the 2016 presidential election, many people got a wake-up call. Our country took an extreme right and... Our values changed overnight. To combat this, I started volunteering more in my community, and I launched this very podcast to share positive stories about the Latinx community and LGBT folks at a time when a very racist president was attacking these very same communities. Across the country, a fellow Latinx LGBTQ leader decided to completely shift gears from working as a health practitioner to fully engage democracy as a voting rights activist. Maria Perez of New Mexico started getting involved with several organizations to improve our elections and improve democracy at the local and state level. Now she's taking her mission across the country by promoting ranked choice voting through her national organization she co-founded in 2020, Democracy Rising. By giving a voter the ability to rank candidates on a ballot, ranked choice voting has changed the tone of elections, from churning out more issue-based candidates to engaging more people who are invested in elections that will not split their votes. The public is embracing ranked choice voting, and Maria hopes you will too. I want to welcome to the show Maria Perez, co-director of Democracy Rising, an organization that works directly with the community advancing democracy reform to build effective organizing education and advocacy strategies on the ground. And one thing that caught my attention is the work in electoral reform, in particular, ranked choice voting, that Maria is going to walk us through for those of us who are brand new to the concept. Thank you, Maria, for coming on the show. Thank you, Jesse, for having me. Happy to be here. Yes. Uh, when I first reached out to you after hearing you speak at one of the local meetings here in D.C., I was like, you broke it down for me so well. I need to share this on my podcast. Before we go into ranked choice voting, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, you know, my my journey to where I am now is really um non-traditional. I, um, I was born and raised in Ecuador, and I uh, came to the States uh, as a young woman to pursue my education, and um, I pursued my education in the sciences. I uh, was sort of, uh, you know, leaning towards the health professions, and that's how I started my career. I was- Immigrants, a- families, I always want a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I I didn't want to be a, a Western medical doctor because I've always been a little bit of a, an outlier. But um, I did pursue my education in health. I was a doctor of Chinese medicine. That's what my uh, background is. 
I practiced that as a primary care practitioner for many years. And uh, I was working, um, I've always been really focused on social justice issues. So I really had no interest in working uh, with the insurance model, right? So yes. my practice was always with the uninsured and with the underinsured. Um, and um, through practicing with folks who, who didn't have health insurance, uh, I really got interested in why that is, right? Why are people uh, not covered? Why are people struggling so much? Why are people that have full-time jobs uh, not having access to healthcare, uh, healthcare and healthcare services? So at that time, after practicing for many years, I really um, got interested in health policy, right? Trying to answer some of these questions, trying to find some of these solutions and see what people were working on on the policy level. And, you know, um, it took a couple of years really for my career really to shift focus completely. I um, learned that I was actually good at policy work and advocacy work. And I started practicing less and less and, and um, focusing more and more on, uh, on policy work and advocacy work. And that's, um, I was doing that, it, you know, I started with, with health policy and health advocacy. And that uh, grew as I uh, got into that work more. So it wasn't just access to healthcare services, but more access to health in general. So things like education and transportation and housing and um, uh, economic opportunity and all these things that really encompass what, uh, what a healthy community is. And yeah, uh, I community, was- When we see people that are, are healers, we see them as, resource that connect us to resources so that people tend to not only trust you with their health but with their their they almost want to run run you for office did you get any of that (laughs) oh i get that yeah i've been getting that for a while um when are you going to run for something right because uh because it is that right like uh, a healthy individual can only be healthy can only thrive if all your basic things are, uh, you don't have to stress out about it, right? So that includes good food, uh, you know, housing that is stable and uh, and not toxic environments and all these things. So the way that um, health equity advocates really connect all the dots and that's, uh, I really got into that. And then after the 2016 presidential election, I really had a, like a come to Jesus moment, right? Where, all of us uh, did. Yes, many of us did where I really understood in that moment that democracy was really the ultimate health equity indicator. And if that we didn't have a democracy, all of these things that I've been working and fighting for were not going to mean anything. Right. We need a democracy in order to have the things that are important to our community. So at that time, after the 2016 election, I decided to completely shift gears professionally again and just work on democracy uh, reform. And that's how, uh, that's how you know, eventually I got to electoral reform and ranked choice voting. So can you explain ranked choice voting for the person that's never heard about it, which is probably a lot of my podcast listeners right now? What is RCV? So yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, Ranked choice voting is just a very simple change in the way that our ballots look when you go to vote as a voter, right? So as a voter uh, in a ranked choice voting election, when you go to vote, instead of just um, being asked to 
identify who your favorite candidate is and just voting for that candidate. With a ranked ballot, the you are able to rank all of the candidates or as many candidates as you like in order of preference. So not just getting a chance to identify who your favorite candidate is, but identifying some backup choices also in case your favorite candidate doesn't have enough popular support to win. So you mark your favorite candidate, you know, the candidate you love as your number one choice, but then for whatever reason that candidate drops out or that candidate just doesn't have enough support, you get to, uh, you get to identify a second choice. Uh, and if that candidate can win, you get to identify a third choice and so forth. So it's just uh, a more nuanced way of, um, of identifying your preferences as a voter. And what happens is once everybody's vote is in and once uh, you know the, the, it's time to tally up the votes, first choice votes, everybody's first choice votes are counted. If one of the candidates gets 50% or more of the vote, uh, they win as they would in any uh, majoritarian election, right? But if none of the candidates reaches that uh, majority threshold with first choice votes, then the candidate that gets the least amount of support on those first choice votes gets eliminated and the voters who chose that candidate as the candidate they love now have their vote go to their next choice. And this goes by rounds until somebody wins a majority. And then in the end, we have a candidate who has the support of the majority of the voters, maybe not everybody's first choice, but everybody's first, second, or third choice, really. Uh, and then that person really has a mandate, right? They, they know they uh, have a, a coalition of voters that supported them, and, and the majority of the voters uh, does support that candidate. This must be a data nerd's dream. <laughs> Someone yeah. that loves working with statistics and math, this must be something that they would love to take on. But what I loved in your whole phrase there when you were talking about this, the word choice. It's not going to be someone that you, you know, where you split your vote between two good candidates and then the third that's not aligned with your values ends up winning because two people's vote, two people that you like split the vote and some third candidate that is not, does not have your vision, ends up winning. No, the word choice is in there. You get to choose one, two, three, up to four, depending on how many people on the race. And like you said, you could rank as many as you want. Or if there's a, if there's eight people on the ballot and you only like four, you only choose those four. I like yeah. that. I like that. Yeah, that's something that a couple of things that you mentioned just now, Jesse, is uh, are things that I really love about ranked choice voting. One is, um, as a voter, you really get to um, you don't have to hold your nose and vote for the candidate that you think has a chance to win, even though you don't like him that much. But you you know, there's these calculations that we've all had to make when we're when we're only allowed to identify one candidate that we want, right? How many times I vote in every single election? I come from a, a voting family, right? I vote in every single general, primary, local election, and at least half the time I've had to hold my nose because I I'm voting against somebody is what I'm doing, right? I'm okay. I'm trying to elect the person that I think that can win that is going to not have the person that I really don't want elected. That's not democracy to me. To me, democracy is needs to be centered around the voter and what the voter wants, right? Voters should have to 
should be able to allow to elect their candidates and not the other way around. So I really love that about ranked choice voting. And the other thing that you mentioned that I really love about ranked choice voting is this thing, right? If there's a if there's a community, we see this a lot, right? In, in uh, communities that are diverse, let's say that we have a large Latino population in a community. There's maybe three Latino candidates that are running for, for local office and, and one white candidate. The Latino vote gets split between the three Latino candidates and the white candidates and ends up winning, right? So even if the Latino is the Latino population is a majority. So this is a way to prevent the vote from being split, whether it's along racial lines or political lines or whatever it is, it really gets you a consensus candidate in the end to win that race. So can you give us a financial reason why RCV is the way to go? Financially? Yeah. Okay, so um, that really depends on how uh, elections are run currently, right? Before changing to ranked choice voting. In places that have uh, a runoff model, right, where there's there's a first round of election where everybody goes to vote. If nobody wins the majority, then um, there's a there's a runoff election that happens some weeks later uh, with the two top vote getters from the first election. Ranked choice voting eliminates the need to have a second election, and that uh, that runoff election costs just as much as the as the first election. So that can save, uh, you know, a city millions of dollars, really, depending on the yeah, size and, of the city. And you can just imagine the money of having to take time off work, because some of these folks, they have to take time off, because some of these elections are not held on the weekends. It's during work time. So imagine having to take a, a the day off to go vote, and then you have to take, take off another day for the runoff. Right, a few weeks later, right? A few weeks later. And people of color don't have that privilege, you know, that don't have that luxury of being taking just days off just to right. make so sure for that. the voters, for the voters is that and also for the voters is their tax, their tax money, right? Like the money exactly. that we pay into taxes, uh, where the jurisdiction, the city or the county or whatever it is, is gonna have to spend twice as much to run two elections as as opposed to one. Uh, in in places where there isn't a runoff election, basically most of our local elections are run with a system called plurality, which just means the candidate that gets the most votes wins, uh, even if that you know percentage-wise, if that's like twenty percent. If you think of a, a race that has five candidates, somebody gets more votes could mean they just won with twenty percent of the vote. That also is not democratic to me. But that is so sad when it's elections like terrible. that. I mean, that explains Donald Trump. He was able to get enough people that believed in his racist ideas and his bullying and his just mean streak I, way of uh, running a campaign in the Republican prim primary. And he was able to walk. He was able to walk away the winner with just 35, 25 percent of the vote because there was just right. so many candidates in that primary. Right. So if you think about that, uh, a, a race like that with, I think there was like 17 candidates or something, right? Somebody won uh, with 30% of the vote or whatever it was, even though 70% of the voters preferred somebody else. So that's also not quite democratic, right? Yeah. So how is a Latino community reacting to ranked choice voting? Because we're already in some cities with a lot of the Latino population, like Las Cruces, I read, has RCV. Santa Fe, 
uh, Oakland, California. Oakland, San Francisco, and San Leandro in uh, California. And uh, of course, New York City had their um, yes. the primaries, right, for the Most local recent. election this year with ranked choice voting. So we have um, more and more information every election cycle in terms of how different communities um, receive ranked choice voting, understand ranked choice voting, uh, participate in ranked choice voting elections. And for the Latino community, uh, what we're learning is that um, people understand the concept very clearly. The concept of, um, you know, in our Latino culture, right, we, we tend to have big extended families. We tend to really have like sort of like community um, events, community uh, thinking, right? And we have to make decisions uh, in a large family or like in a, in a church or in a neighborhood. And people really understand the concept of consensus building, right? People get to uh, state uh, their preferences and, um, and then who, wh wherever the, the most um, support is, is the decision that is gonna be made. So this is not a new concept for Latinos. Uh, this is something we understand culturally more than many other communities. Uh, and then, you know, there's, there's uh, it's just not something that we're used to doing with candidates, right? With elections, but yes. it's something that we do about like deciding what movie to go see, deciding what activities we're gonna take the kids to do, deciding what are we gonna cook for dinner, right? Um, so this is something that we intuitively uh, get because it's part of our uh, culture. There also is hard data on this, right? So I was about to ask you about the studies. What has the latest studies on this revealed? So there's been a lot of, uh, I mean, the, the, what I like the most, uh, the kind of studies that I like the most about this issue is exit polling, exit polling in places that have had ranked choice voting elections. So We've done this in Santa Fe. There, there was some done in Las Cruces. There's been done this done in the three cities in the California Bay Area, and definitely in uh, in New York City. And what we found is that across the board, so you know, across all demographics, across uh, like cultural, racial, ethnic, and age demographics, in all of these places, people, uh, the vast majority of the people understand ranked choice voting. They felt. That they um, that their vote was going to count as they intended it to count, and um, in New York City specifically, it was really interesting because they have such uh, cultural diversity, right? Like racial diversity there. Yes. And they um, learned that regardless of whether the person the the community polled was Latino or Black or Asian American, uh, regardless of age about 80%, uh, the average, right? 80% of all of the people felt that their ballot was easy to understand and easy to use and that their vote was gonna count. So that, that is also true well. for the Latino community. well for this effort. Because one thing when I was doing my research before I interviewed you, I was very happy to, to read that this is being used in rural areas like Maine and then in big cities like New York City. Alaska just adopted uh, ranked choice voting. So this is a concept that's accepted in both rural and big cities and both parties are using. So it's a nonpartisan yep. thing because you have the Democrats that are using them 
using them in their and most recently in 2020 for the uh, primaries and caucuses, correct? And then we had the recent election across the Potomac in Virginia, where their winning slate of Republican candidates all were selected through ranked choice voting. Correct. So the parties themselves um, have been using ranked choice voting in different places for different to elect their own party leadership, right? So that as the case in Virginia, that was the case in uh, the Democratic primaries. The state of Utah has been using this um, this model. The Republican Party in the state of uh, Utah has been using this model to elect their own leadership. And then this year, this past year in 2021, there were 23 cities. Uh, in in the state of Utah, which is a very red state, right? Yes. 23 cities that use ranked choice voting. So, you know, the biggest was uh, Salt Lake City, which is kind of like the little blue dot in a red state. But there were 22 other cities, small, small communities, very uh, red leaning communities that use ranked choice voting. So again, this is not uh, something, a method that benefits one party over the other or one kind of candidate over the other, it's just benefits the voters, right? It really is a way for voters to, um, to build political power and actually be able to choose candidates of, of, uh, of their preference. Another uh, side effect of ranked choice voting is that people are no longer gonna be spoilers. People that wanna run, that don't wanna wait their turn can actually go out there and put their head in the ring and say, yeah, I'm gonna run, this is my year. And it won't take the chances away from someone that is favored to win, but it lets it gives them a run, you know, allows them to run. So when we have those sad up sad situations where the top candidate for some reason has a political scandal and he has to drop out, you know, it this kind of solves so many problems. Yeah, it doesn't solve all the problems, right? It's not a silver bullet, but uh, what I do like about ranked choice voting as, a, as an election model is that it really incentivizes all the things that are important to me, all the values that are important to me, which are being voter centric, uh, uh, sort of like taking away the negative campaigning, personal oh, attacks exactly. out of a out Let's of go a into campaign. that. I'm so Let's happy you brought that. that. Let's go into that because we need to explain to the listeners that ranked choice voting cuts down on the, the the mudslinging big time because when a person's trying to run for an office he doesn't necessarily does not want to like be putting down the person that's right behind him or or her because they may need their their second votes those that second choice vote from that person mm-hmm. you know so it's just sort of like you need to play nice because we're in a whole different electoral system where you might be collecting votes from a person that you're 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 on the de- debate stage with but you don't necessarily want to tear down that candidate because you might need their voters yeah in this uh you know in my world of ranked choice voting we have a term uh for candidates which is um distinguish yourself from from your opponents but don't disparage them right so you are absolutely right in a ranked choice voting election candidates really need to hone into what their values are and what their platform is and what issues they really care about. And uh, and that's what the voters are gonna connect to. If you as a candidate start um, 
launching personal negative attacks right against your opponents. Candidate uh, voters who like your opponent are not likely to give you their second or third choice vote, like you said, Jesse. If uh, as a candidate you've been trash talking the the candidate that they like, so it really changes the the tone of the campaign season and incentivizes candidates to talk about the issues, to talk about their values, and to also find ways to connect to their opponents, right? As a candidate, you know, I really uh, find that my position on issues A, B, and C are really different than my opponents, but on this one issue, we have worked together and we can connect on that. And as a matter of fact, if I win this election, I will tap my opponent to help me on that issue. That's a completely different way of doing business. And then voters are not taken for granted. If they see their opponent's um, yard signs, they're still going to knock on that door because they want that second or third choice vote from them. So every single vote's on the table. Every single vote is on the table and people are going to be probably more. um, Well, I've I read that the studies that turnout goes up in ranked choice voting because people are more involved. They're more they're more engaged because the candidates are not leaving any vote behind. That's absolutely true. So if people want to learn more about ranked choice voting, where can they go? Well, I'm going to share with you two websites. One is uh, morevoicedc.org morevoicedc.org. Uh, there is a bill moving through uh, through DC right now, and, and this is their website. Um, it's, it's great. There's a lot of good information there. And the other website that I'm going to share with you is my organization, Democracy Rising's website, which is wearedemocracyrising.org. And uh, there's some good uh, information there, particularly there's, um, we just produced some um, really great informational videos that uh, like explainer videos that I'm really proud of. And we did them um, in English and in Spanish. So perfect. I was just about to ask you. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I want to thank you so much, Maria, for the work that you've done. And I really deeply appreciate that you started your world, you know, your journey, trying to help others, but then you saw this higher calling of getting into the policy, which people don't like getting into. They don't like the difficult stuff. But you said, no, I got to learn more on how I can help my people to fix this problem because it's just not about healing people, but giving them a future where they can rely and uh, and be able to get access to not only good health care, but good democracy. Good power, right? People power. People power. And you're in the business of healing. And it looks like you're probably going to heal our our partisan rancor up here in D.C. because you're going to try to send us candidates with this ranked choice voting that are less partisan and more willing to work and collaborate with each other um, to get that vote. I'm hoping. I'm hoping for the best outcome there in D.C. Well, thank you so much, Maria, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. 